Okay, Shalom Aleichem. So we're going to start the Mishnah together, Be'ez HaShem, Siyat HaShemaya. Um, the plan, what I want to do is I'm going to read through, read through the Mishnah from one time, just to make sure we get clear pshat in what the Mishnah is saying. Then I want to read through the Mishnah, ask some questions. I want to read through the Rashis on the Mishnah, ask some questions. And then I want to try to delve into what's really going on here. So let's start with the Mishnah. The Mishnah says, Someone who damages his friend, He has to pay five different payments. He has to pay Nezek or damages. Tsar is for the pain that he incurred upon the fact that he hurt him. Ripui is the medical payment that's necessary in order to fix the wounds. Shavis is unemployment due to his inability to work from the wounds that were caused by the attacker. Uboshis is the embarrassment due to the wounds that were incurred. So says the Mishnah, Benezach Ketzad, how do we assess the value of Nezek? Simes Enai Kotes Yodai Shivas Ragle, you blinded him, you cut off his hand, you broke his leg. So what do we do? We view him like he's a slave that's being sold in the marketplace. We assess how much he was worth before he was damaged. And how much he's worth now. The mission doesn't speak out 100% what we do, but it sounds like we pay that differential in price. Tsar. So I assume the question is, the Gemara doesn't say, I assume the, the Mishnah, I'm sorry, doesn't say, I assume the question is, how do we assess the value of, the payment of Schar? Kvo Bishwud, he burns him, O Bimasmir, he burns him, I'm sorry, with a, a, a pole, or a masmer, is a screw, a even on his fingernail, Makam She'ina Usechabura, a place that doesn't bruise, we assess how much a person similar to him would ask to be paid in order to go through this kind of pain. Okay, that's the second then. Ripui, his healing, his medical treatment. Hakol, if you hit him, you have to heal him. Alabitzmachim. If afterwards he gets blisters, if the blisters are due to the wound, then you have to pay for him. If they're not due to the wound, then you're potter. It heals and gets worse, it heals and gets worse. The whole time you have to pay for his healing. But if it heals all the way, anything which happens subsequent to that, so then you don't have to pay for that. Shavis, unemployment. You view him like he's guarding cucumbers. Because you already gave him the value of his hand and the value of his leg. Embarrassment. Everything was based off of the person who embarrassed and the person who was embarrassed. So that's the din of the Mishnah. Those are the halachas of the Mishnah. Let's read it again this time and try to get some clarity and what actually is going on here? So again, from the beginning, someone who damages his friend, 
He is obligated to pay five things. Benezik, Tsar, Ripui, Beishis, Shevas, Beishis. Right, he has to pay these five payments. Now, question number one is every time you damage someone, are you obligated to pay these five things? Every time you hurt someone, every time you damage someone, are these always these five payments? Are the five payments dependent on what occurred, dependent on the nature of the damage? So, Svara dictates that you wouldn't have to, right? If there was no medical bills, obviously you don't have to pay Nezek. I'm sorry, you don't have to pay Ripui. If there was no damage which was long-term, so then there's no depreciation as an Evid, and therefore you wouldn't have to pay Nezek. This far is backed by the Yushalmi. The Yushalmi on this Mishnah says explicitly that if you damage someone, if all five Tashlumen are viable, then you pay all five. If all four, if four are viable, pay four. If three are viable, pay three. So that would be the Pashtis and Svara, the simple understanding of Svara. The difficulty is the language of the Mishnah. The language of the Mishnah says, You have to pay five things. You have to pay five things. So, the, the language, the simple language of the Mishnah implies you have for everything. You always have to pay five. So, the way you could go get out of this diuk is you could say that, halachically speaking, you're actually obligated to pay five all time. You have to pay, you always have to pay ripui. You have to pay ripui. Sometimes the medical bill, though, is zero. And since the medical bill is zero, even though you're chayv to pay ripui, so practically speaking, there's nothing to pay. And therefore, that would be the basis of the Yushalmi. I'm going to read to you for the Yushalmi inside. The Rif brings the Yushalmi. The Yushalmi says, Someone who damages his friend in five ways, no sin lo hey. Then he gives to him five. Dalid, he damages him four ways. No sin lo dalid, he gives him four. Meaning, what did no sino? What's no sino? It should say chayvalov. He's chay, obligated to pay. The Yushalmi is meduyak that really the chiv is always there. You always are chayv in five. The question is, how much do you give? What's the no sino? And that could be the din of our Mishnah. Now, the fact the Mishnah starts out saying, achove bechaveru chayvalov. Why does the Mishnah say, achove bechaveru? Which is say, achoval adam. What's bechaveru? My assumption is, that the mission is revealing to us that these chamisha tashlumen only apply to damaging a Jew. If you damaged an Anjou, so these chamisha devarim wouldn't be the basis of your payment. There would be a different way to assess what you pay to an Anjou. Now, another diak I'd like to make in the Mishnah. Why does the mission say olav? Pretty straightforward. The olive is adding anything. So like this. I would assume the Kiddush of the Mishnah is that what's the Mechaev for these payments, what obligates you to pay here, is the wound itself. You could have thought what obligates you in the payments is the fact that you attacked him. Right? The same way by we have Oynes, Mephata, the action the result of what occurred, right, the, the distress that a person goes through, uh, right, that which you put her through, that's not what we assess in order to attribute a knastil, 
Rather, what we assess is the action itself. You spoke, you were a Motzei Shemra? You lied about her status in marriage? So then, you pay the kanas, the action what was causing the payment of the fine. Achol B'chaveru Chayv Olav is telling us, don't think the Maisa Chavala is the basis, is the reason for you paying the fine. The Olav, the Nezek, the result of the action, is what's obligating to make this payment. Now the nature of this payment, we're going to have to discuss, this is going to be Machlikas Rishonim, as far as I see so far, is what is the nature of this payment? Is it compensation? Nezek, for example, right? You cut someone's hand off. Now you pay the money. Is that compensation for the hand? Is that a fine? These are things that we're going to have to try to develop over the course of our time learning together. And Mir Tashem will try to explain Chitas Rashi today. But these are all things that we have to go ahead and take uh, into understanding. Now, in regards to the payment of Tsar, the Mishnah says, Tsar kvayu b'shvud obimasmer. It says you burn him with a shvud, with a, a pole, obimasmer, with, a, with a, a nail. Right? The simple read of the Mishnah is that you burnt him with, with a pole or a nail. Okay? You'll see soon why this bothers me. We're going to want to see Rashi. Rashi learns this differently, how to read this Rashi differently. Now, What's very interesting is that we have a payment called Nezek. Nezek is, what I would assume my initial understanding would be, that Nezek is payment, compensation, for whatever monetary loss that was incurred due to the, due to the, the, the wound, the attack, right? The fact that he was hurt. Now, that is, first of all, we have to assess how much a hand is worth. A guy cuts his hand off. We have to assess how much his hand is worth. But... Incorporated within that monetary loss is also the fact that he was unemployed, is also the medical bills. So how come the Mishnah is bringing in as separate payments Shavas and Ripui? Seemingly, if Nezik is a payment for the monetary loss incurred due to the fact that he was attacked, I would assume that all has to be incorporated, that should all be incorporated within the payment of Nezik itself. So that's going to be another point that we have to address here. Why is it that Shavis and Ripui are separate from the Tashlum of Nezek? Now, within the Din of Ripui, the Mishnah says another statement. The Mishnah says, if it's Olabud Smachim, right, blisters come on the wound. Imach Masamaka Chayev, if the blisters come due to the fact that you hit him, then the Chayvil, the attacker, is obligated to pay for those blisters, the treatment of those blisters. But if it was Shalimach Masamaka, if the blisters rose not due to the original wound, then you're putter. Now this seems like the most obvious thing in the world. If you, blisters come up on a person, it has nothing to do with the fact that you hit him. So what's the hava amina that I would have to pay for that? Obviously I don't have to pay for that. I wasn't cause of that. So why does the Mishnah feel the need to tell me that if it's shleimach masamaka, if it wasn't due to the fact that I hit him, that I'm putter? And for every time he, this guy has a medical issue, I have to pay for his bills? Obviously not. So what's the Mishnah coming to address? My assumption is that, let's say blisters come and they have nothing to do with the fact that you hit him, but there's a complication with the blisters due to the fact that you hit him. For example, you hit him, and then all of a sudden he gets blisters on the place where you hit him. Now those blisters are much more difficult to treat. 
comes along the mission and says, if the Siba, the reason that those blisters came into existence, was not due to the original hit, then your Pater, the Chiddush is, even though it's more complicated to deal with them now, it might be more expensive, it might be more, you know, technically difficult to deal with them, nonetheless, since they came into existence not due to you, therefore, even though they're more complicated maybe due to you, you're still exempt. That's what I would assume the Chiddush of the mission is here. Now, another din that we're going to have to explain here is in regards to Shavas. The Mishnah says, Shavas Rona Sokilu You view him like he's a Shomakshuin. Now, why do we view him like a Shomakshuin? I would assume the reason we view him as a Shomakshuin is because what else can he do now? I'm saying, what, what's, what's a Shmira supposed to be? So I would say, why do we view him like he's a Shomer Kshuin? Because that's the only type of work he can do. Says the Mishnah, Because you already paid him for his hand and his leg. What's the connection? The fact that this Tashlumi Nezik is the reason why I pay Shavis unemployment like he's a Shomer Kshuin? If you asked me, I would say unemployment should be whatever he was doing beforehand. LMI, we don't pay him whatever he's doing beforehand. So we pay him to do what he has now because that's all he can do. Says the Mishnah, no. Why do we pay him like a Shomakshuyan? Not because that's all he can do. Because you paid him the value of his hand and his leg. All right, that explanation is going to need more of an explanation. So now, let's go back now to, we saw the din in the Mishnah. We discussed different points in the Mishnah, which are difficult. We said some Chidushim, and we left some points open that need interpretation. So now that we did that, let's go ahead and see Rashi together. And we're going to point out some issues. We're going to maybe say some uh, explanations during the process. And then once we point out the issues and some explanations, we're going to go back again and say a big principle in Rashi to explain the nature of the payments here. So says Rashi, How much he's worth now in the present. How do we assess how he's worth in the present? Shari Hezekai. Because this guy, this chayvul, this attacker, damaged him. And he made him lose this money. Which money? Because if this person needed to, he would sell himself as an Eved Ivri. Now this Rashi is unbelievable. Rashi says, why are we assessing how much he's worth now? Since he damaged him, he made him lose money. Which money? The theoretical money he could have gotten if he had sold himself as an Ivid Ivri if he needed to. So now let's think about this. What happened here? This, right, Reuven came over to Shimon and chopped Shimon's hand off. Now Shimon is never going to have a hand for the rest of his life. Says Rashi, evaluate how much an Ivid Ivri would cost with a hand or without a hand and pray him the price difference. Now, how long is... An Evid Ivri, an Evid for? An Evid Ivri is an Evid for six years of his life. Six years. That's crazy. The fact that a person isn't going to have a hand for the rest of his life, we're going to go ahead and assess the value lost to an Evid for six years of not having a hand? How is compensation for six years of an Evid not having a hand an actual, any way, shape, or form compensation for someone not having the hand the rest of their life. It's ludicrous. That's something which we're not able to come to terms with or accept. 
That's going to be our first question. How in the world is this a fair assessment of a permanent loss to say that you compensate him for the difference of an Evid Ivri not having a hand for six years? That's number one. Question number one. Number two is that Rashi says that if he needed to, he would sell himself. If he needed to, he would sell himself. That means that we're not talking about a person who was already in the market to sell himself. We're talking about theoretical money. Theoretical money? Now, if this guy never sells himself, let's say he never sells himself. So now, was there any loss from the fact that he uh, got his hand chopped off? He lost any money? Maybe not. No, the only loss here was the fact that uh, he could have sold himself, but if he never sold himself, so maybe what we should do, we should put the money on the side, and we'll say like this, if Shimon decides to sell himself, so I'll give him this money, right? We'll put it by, by to a third party, Mr. Third Party, you have this in a trust fund, right? Now, if Shimon decides to sell himself, give him the money, he'll get the difference, but if he doesn't decide to sell himself, he goes back to Ruvin at the end of the day. There's all potential. There's not a real loss here. The only loss is if he sells himself. It also seems very strange. Now, that being said, Rashi says, Shari Heziko, he damaged him. He made him lose this money. He made him lose this money? What money? What money did he lose? He lost money. There's money here. His bank account went down because his hand got chopped off? No. Oh, so what do you mean to say happened? It means that theoretically he could have sold himself, and theoretically he could have made more money. So he didn't cause any loss whatsoever. What he did was prevent future gain, maybe. He prevented future gain. True. But says Rashi, He made him lose money. So how could it be that Rashi is explaining that the sale is a sale, that the money, I'm sorry, the hefzit here, is the loss of money in a potential future sale, when that's not called a hefzid, it's only potential, it might never happen, and all it is is limiting the profit that he will have in the future sale. That's all Rashi is, I'm saying, uh, unreadable, I think is the word. So, this question's on Rashi, we're going to put on the side, right? Again, if we're going to summarize, we have a few questions here on Rashi. Number one, how is the assessment of the differential, the price differential of a slave for six years, fair compensation for the loss of a hand forever? Number two, is there any loss whatsoever if he never sells himself? Number three, Rashi says that there was a hefzid mamon. Where's the hefzid mamon? All it is is a prevent, it's a, it's a limitation of potential profit. It limits the amount of profit. There's no actual hefzid. So how could Rashi say... Hefzid Mamazer. There was no Hefzid Mamazer. Those are three questions on Rashi. We're going to come back to that. Now Rashi says, Bimasmer, again, in regards to Tsar, the Mishnah, like we spoke out, says, He burns him with a pole or with a masmer, a nail. So Rashi says, Ke'ev Hamaka. Ke'ev Hamaka, the pain of being hit. How did Rashi know that we're discussing that the masmer hit him? Doesn't say that in the Mishnah. The Mishnah actually says, Tsar, Kvoi Beshvud Obamasmer. The simple read of the Mishnah is that the Masmer actually burnt him. So why does Rashi go out of his way to say, Ke'ev Hamaka? Rashi is going and establishing part of the Mishnah which wasn't said. 
Masmer was a Maka. My Mishnah doesn't say that. Apparently these Rashis did. I don't mean to say that Tagirus and Rashi's Mishnah said Maka, but Rashi had a push, he had a reason why to say Maka. So I'd assume as follows. The Pasuk, in regards to Sar, says, Kviya Tachas Kviya, Petza Tachas Potza, Chabura Tachas Chabura. So now, the Makor for Tashlumei Tsar, right, the fact you have to pay Tsar, is from the Pasuk, Petza Tachas Potza. So that, the Din of Tsar is alluded to in the Pasuk, Petza Tachas Potza. Kviya is also in the Pasuk, Kviya Tachas Kviya. That's how it starts, Kviya Tachas Kviya, Petza Tachas Potza. Then, the Mishnah, the, the Pasuk, I'm sorry, says, Chabura Tachas Chabura. Right? You get a, a hit, a, a bruise for a bruise. So Rashi, if he establishes that the Din of Masmer is talking about a Makkah, he actually has an allusion to the totality of the Pasuk that discusses the payment of Tsar. So that would be a reason why Rashi would establish this as Makkah, as opposed to a burn, like the simple read of the Mishnah. Now what Rashi gains from the fact that he changes that, we're going to discuss more once we establish Shitas Rashi in regards to why paying for an Evid Ivri, the hand of an Evid Ivri, is fair compensation. Once we answer that question, we'll come back to Masmer. So now in regards to the Din of Tsar, Rashi says, The more a guy is pampered, the more pain and distress he goes through. So Rashi means to say here that the amount that the attacker has to pay to the person who he injured, who he damaged, has to pay for his tsar is subjective. Based off how much tsar he went through, that's what he has to pay. So now, theoretically, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have known that, right? If chas v'shalom, a man rapes a woman, so then there's different ways that that can unfold. And depending on the circumstance, there's more tsar or less tsar. Nonetheless, the knas, the, the fine that the ma'anis pays to the lady is equal, irrelevant of how much tsar she goes through. There's one unified fine. So I could have understood that tsar is the same thing. There's one payment. There's a payment called tsar. You could say based off the type of hit, there's a kfiya, there's a chabura, the Pasuk talks about different types of things. It could be, I, could, I was I'm open to that. But how does Rashi know to take it so far that based off this guy's super pampered, or he grew up in the school of hard knocks, is going to define how much the payment of tsar is? So you could say, Rashi didn't make it up. Rashi got it from the Mishnah, right? The Mishnah says, kama <laughs> We establish, we assess how much a person like him. What's it mean, like him? So since the Mishnah added these two words, Rashi knew, it means he's alluding to the fact that Tsar is subjective. Depending on what he goes through, that's what he's going to have to pay. It could be. What I would want to ask, though, I'm not sure if you can ask such a question, but I'd like to ask is, how did the Mishnah know that? How did the Mishnah know that Tsar was something which was purely subjective? Ah, the Mishnah says, So, is there an inherent reason why the the, the Tashlum, the payment of Tsar, has to be something which is subjective? That's another point they want to bring out here, according to Rashi's commentary. Now, that's within Tsar. Let's talk about Shavis. Rashi says, Shavis, the entire time this guy is sick. Yeah? 
Shavis unemployment. Obviously, you don't have to pay unemployment after he recovers from losing his hand. Then employment is kol yimei Whenever he's recovering from the wound that the attacker gave him. So what do we do? Ruan Osai, we view this person who's sick now, he's recovering from his wound, ki'ilu hu shuin, as if he guards cucumbers, v'nusin schiraso shakol and we give him his salary of each day. Why do we do that? Shahare ain't roi melacha kveda, he's not fitting to do heavy work, afilu belaycheli, even without even if he wasn't sick, even if he wasn't recovering, why isn't he fitting to do heavy work? Because his hand or his foot was cut off. And he already gave them that money. So without dealing with his last line, his last line, we have the same issue that we had in the Mishnah. But what does Rashi tell us in regards to Shavis? Shavis is, we look at this guy, after he heals, he's going to get out of the hospital. He lost his hand. He's going to get out of the hospital. Now, what work can he do? He used to be a bricklayer. He used to do malachak Now he lost a hand. He can't do malachak anymore. So what can he do? He can be a guard at a garden. Make sure that the squirrels don't eat the food. Fine. You don't need a hand for that. So that's what we pay him now. We pay him the salary that he will get when he recovers. That's what it says in Rashi. So now... First of all, why is that? What's the logic behind that? Adaraba, pay him. Pay him what the salary was getting up until now. I can't do it anymore. Very good. Because you cut his hand off. So why are you absolved from paying that salary? So Rashi says something here at the end, based off the mission of Ukron, us and the Demehen. He already gave them their value. So what's very good? But you gave them the value of the hand, but what's that have to do with my unemployment? That's number one. Number two, is he a Chiddush here? The whole reason that I'm paying him the value of a Shemrik Shuyin is because he used to be a bricklayer, he used to do Melach HaKveda, now he can't do Melach HaKveda. What if this guy worked in a think tank? Yeah, he was a researcher. He was making millions. The fact that he doesn't have a hand, seemingly, has absolutely nothing to do with his employment. Therefore, I want to say Chiddush. According to Rashi, if the person is still able to do his previous job, so then there's no such din as Shavis being always Shomrak Shuin. Shavis is paying based off the job he's going to have when he recovers. So if he was a bricklayer, he was a blue-collar worker, so then he's going to return to blue-collar work, just blue-collar work, which doesn't necessitate a hand. So he's a Shomrak Shuin, very good. But if he worked in the think tank, he was a researcher, he was a lawyer, and even if he doesn't ha- have a hand, he can continue his same work, so then you have to pay him his salary while he's recovering, as if he still has his high-paying job. I think that's Pashat Rashi. Now, the last thing I want to talk about in Rashi, before we get into the kishkas of the matter, is Rashi de Ramaschavam Espayish. Rashi says, right, we talk about the din of Bishas, Akolifiam Evayish, Adam Kalashibayish, Bishasam Aruba. If someone, you know, is not such a high class citizen, embarrasses you in a certain way, that's more embarrassing. If I'm Espayish, Adam Khashiv Sinish Bayish, a really important person gets uh, embarrassed, Bushasam Aruba. 
then his embarrassment is actually quite big. And really, that's the end of the Mishnah. That would be the end of the Mishnah. Comes along Rashi now, and he adds on to this Divina Maschil. And he says as follows, These five things which he's just been discussing, so all of them are derived from Psukim. And now comes along Rashi and tells us which Pasuk, Nezek Dixiv Ayin Tachasayin. How do we know the payment of Nezek? It says Ayin Tachasayin. Tzahar. How do we know the payment of Tzahar? Petzatachas Potza. There's a Pasuk. Petzatachas Potza. Now, how does that teach us Tzahar? Dachadashim, the Gemara. We're going to see later on the Gemara expounds it from this Pasuk. Ripui Veshevis. How do we know the source for Ripui and Shevis? Says Rashi. Rakshifto Yitain Verapa Yirape. Only give him his shavis and his medical bills. Boishis, how do we know the source of Boishis? Dixiv, I could say, says, Kapa, Momon, you cut off her hand. And what does it mean we cut off her hand? It means that you pay money. So now as follows What's Rashi doing here? So the simple read is Rashi is sourcing all five of these payments. Now it's very bothersome to me. If Rashi is sourcing all five of these payments, there'd be a great place to do it. Right in the beginning of the Mishnah. Says the Mishnah, and we should have a Rashi, then the, the Mishnah continues, Bitzar, and Rashi would say, and then it would say, and Rashi would say, etc., etc., right? The Mishnah starts off expressing all five dinim. All five chiyuvim that are coming and extending from the din of chayvil, and Rashi doesn't say anything, nothing. Gornish, eshtayt gornish. He doesn't write anything there. Why not? Why not, Rashi? At the end of the Mishnah, you're going to tell us all the different sources. Tell me all the sources right away. The implication is that Rashi here is not giving an introduction. If Rashi is giving an introduction, he's just sourcing everything. So tell me that in the beginning, in the Mishnah, when you're telling me what all the five. Different devorim that you have to pay are. I Rashi's not doing that. Rashi's waiting till the end. So why does Rashi do that? The best place for an introduction is in the beginning, when the mission itself provides an introduction. So these, this is a difficulty we're going to have to address in Rashi as well. So now that we've expressed all of our frustrations on the Mishnah, we have some chidushim, we have some frustrations. So now I want to go back to this first Rashi. This first Rashi, again, we had three questions on how do we determine the value of Nezek? Now, in general, right, Nezek, what's the payment here? We're assuming that the payment here is compensation, right? He lost his hand. So pay him his hand. Difficult. How is an evidently fair compensation? So says the Rush. We have a Rush. The Rush is in Source 5. Says the Rush as follows. A person who hurts his friend is kind of five different payments. Benezek, he has to pay Nezek in Mefarish Basefa. Like it says later on in the Mishnah, Simas Enokitas Yodah Shavas Ragli. Right, you blind him, cut off his hand, break his leg, Rainasekilu Evid Kanaini Nimka Vashok. Comes along the rush and says, How do you pay? You pay like he's an Evid Kanaini. An Evid Kanaini, a Canaanite slave. Now, this is not like Rashi. Rashi says we assess him like an Evid Ivri. An Evid Ivri is sold for six years. An Evid Kanaini? He sold forever. So comes along the Russian and says, you, you sell him like an Evakanaini. The Mishnah, the Mishnah was nondescript. The Mishnah says, Kiluhu Evid, Nimka Bashuk, which type of Evid doesn't say. 
Rashi assumed Eved Ivri. Comes along the Rash. The Rash is different. The Rash says Eved Kanaini. Why? Says the Rash. Because that sale is permanent. Unlike Eved Ivri, the sale of an Eved Kanaini is permanent. Avala Eved Ivri, says the Rash, but it comes to a Jewish slave. There is no way we can assess an Eved Ivri sale as permanent in order to make him pay for this value and this appraisal. Right? Now, what could we have theoretically done? He could have sold himself for six years. And after he left those six years, sell himself a second time. And that we could do for the rest of his life. Perish, what's that mean? Now, why don't we do that? How can we don't say, make this assessment every six years? So we have here a fundamental machlokas. The rush comes along and says, which type of evid do we assess the price differential in? We assess the price differential as an evid kanani, as a Canaanite slave. Why? Because an evid kanani is sold forever. The damage is forever. So obviously the price differential should be based off of a slave who is sold forever. A Jewish slave, an Eved Ivri, is not sold forever. Therefore, it's not a valid way to assess. Aye, how come we don't make an assessment where every six years there's another installment being paid? Says the, says the Rosh, we already saw in Parakaporo, the Gemara we saw together last week, that the basis of making these assessments when it comes to Nezik are done in a way to be lenient on the person who did the damages. And since it's meant to be done in a lenient way, if someone's making six-year payments and installments, it's going to be much more expensive buying a new slave every six years as opposed to a one-time payment, which is going to be much cheaper. Therefore, says the Rush, it's not a valid way to go ahead and assess the value of this damage. So there were some guys in Shir, in Yeshiva, that wanted to say, no, what do you mean? Rashi's just saying it, because we said, we're talking about where he hurt a Jew. And therefore, he said, but really, when we appraise him, we appraise him like an Eved Kanani, and it's really just like the Rush, and there's no Machlokas. Because of this, I brought you Rabbi Kiva Rabbi Kiva in Source 6, 6 is explicit, that it's Machlokas between Rashi and the Rush. Rashi says, we sell him as an Eved Ivri. The Rosh, Eved Kanani. Because when it comes to an Eved Ivri, you can't sell him forever. You can only sell him for six years. I, what are you going to do? Sell him every six years and have the six-year installments? That's going to be too expensive. So the Rabbi Kiva assumes that this is a machlokas. The Yamshel Shleme here asks a different question. His question is as follows. We know the din of... Nezik applies across the board. What happens when someone hurts a, a woman, right? A girl, 15 years old, a Jewish woman can only be sold as an Ame Ivriya until the age of 12. Above the age of 12, she can't be an Ame Ivriya anymore. There's no such concept. She can have a job, but she can't be a Shifcha, she can't be an Ame Ivriya. Asks the Yamshel Shleiman Rashi, if someone has Shalom hurts a lady, She's 15 years old. So there, according to Rashi, there's no way to assess her value. 
she's not sellable. She can't be sold as an evidivri. She's 15 years old. So according to Rashi, how are we going to ever be able to assess the value of a woman who was attacked? She's not sellable as an evid. Because of this kasha, the Yamshel Shlema says it's a reason to go like the Rosh. What's a parameter for assessing the value? The parameter for assessing the value is going to be like a shivcha kanainis. Now, we had three questions on Rashi inherently. The Rosh is a new set of questions. The Yamshel Shlema is another question. All of these together are indicative of the fact that Rashi is not saying what we think he is. It's impossible for me to understand that Rashi is learning a principle of compensation, of paying back for the damages that you did. And therefore, I want to try to go ahead and explain Rashi in a new fashion, and based off our explanation of Rashi in a new fashion, try to answer all these questions. So stage one is an Urzarua. The Urzarua is di- discussing a fundamental question. You know, there's two different parshas of Nezikin in the Torah. There's two different times Nezikin are talking about. One is talking about Nizke Adam, when a person is damaged, and one is talking about Nizke Behema, when an animal is damaged. So, before anything, one could ask himself, why in the world do I need two separate parshas? I need two separate parshas? Why? Nezik means you damaged, you caused a loss of money. So, paying for the loss of money. If that's true, it would suffice just to have one parsha, and whatever the halachas are in that parsha of Nezik, I'll know that they apply both to Adam and Behema. The fact that there's two different parshas implies that there are really two different sets of halachas. So now, I'll tell you as follows. There's halacha, the din of our Mishnah, of Chemisha Dvorim, is limited to when a person hurts another person. Now, we'll see later on in this discussion, is that only when it's in purposefully, but if it was unintentional, you only have to pay Nezik. That's one discussion. But for sure, for simplicity's sake, let's talk about a case which is universally agreed upon. And if an animal hurts a person, all the owner of the animal has to pay is Nezik. He doesn't have to pay Tsar or Ripui. I'm sorry, he doesn't have to pay Ripui or Shavas. Yeah, he doesn't have to pay Ripui or Shavas. Now, when a, a person hurts an animal, or an animal hurts an animal, all they pay is Nezik. There's no other payment besides that of Nezik. Now, what gets incorporated in the Nezik of when an animal hurts a person? And what's incorporated in the Nezik when an animal hurts an animal? Right? What's the difference? So it comes along the Urzarua. The Urzarua is one of the Rishenim, Rishenim of Ashkenaz. And the Urzarua says as follows. If an Adam, what's incorporated in Tashlumi Nezik of our Mishnah of Adam? How much was he worth? before he got injured, and how much is he worth when he got injured, after he gets injured? Now, let's say the person is going to have a complete recovery. He's injured, he got knocked out, he's going to be out of work for two months, but after two months, he's going to be back 100%. There the din is, there's no Tashlum Nezek. Why? Because there was never going to be any permanent damage which caused a loss. Therefore, he's going to function just as much as he will right now as he was, as he did before the injury. Very good, he was injured for two weeks, two months, whatever it was. But if there's no permanent damage, there's no Tashlumi Nezek to pay for. So, as follows. If a person gets damaged by an animal, he's going to fully recover. He was out for two months. So, 
you don't have to pay for Shevis Aripui because the animal attacked the person. And the din of Chamisha Dvorim is only when a person attacks a person. I so what about the Nezek? If he's going to have a full recovery at the, at the end of the day, so it comes out that the owner of the animal is going to have to pay absolutely nothing. Now, what happens when an animal hurts an animal? What's incorporated within the Tashlumi Nezek? Says the Orzeruah. What's incorporated within the Tashlumi Nezek is all the financial loss. So granted, the state of being of the animal is not going to change because it's going to have a full recovery. But the fact that it wasn't able to work and the fact that you had to pay its medical bills are, yes, financial losses that were incurred due to the damages. And that's incorporated within the nezek of the animal. So it comes out something which is unbelievable. If an animal hurts a person and he's going to have a full recovery, the price tag of that injury is zero. If an animal hurts an animal and it's going to have a full recovery, the price tag of that is the value of what it would cost to rent an animal while it was unable to be worked, plus the medical bills. Why in the world is that? Says the Orzeruah Svara. What's the Svara? That inasmuch as the Torah dictated what Nizke Adam is, Nezik is a payment for the damages of an Adam, of a person, irrelevant, aside from the Ripui and the Shavis, right? Those are separate payments. The fact that the Torah revealed that Nezik is something which is separate from them, lets us know, it reveals to us, that the payment of Nezek is always as such. That we just look at it holistically, as what happened, what, what was the loss to this person. We don't view it as taking into account all of the financial losses that were, happened due to the fact that he was damaged. And the question is, why in the world is that true? Why would that be? What's the logic behind that? If Nezek means... If we pay for the loss that was incurred due to that to the the fact that there was a damage here, why would we limit that payment? Why would we include all the losses at hand? So let's see the tour here together. The tour I want to read inside. The tour quotes from the Shem Rosh, someone who rents a cow from his friend, and this cow gets damaged because the renter was negligent. It had nothing to do with his work. He was, uh, you know, throwing knives with his friend, and he actually threw a knife at the cow by mistake. Yeah, fine. Now this wound is, The cow is going to be fine. But he damaged it. Nonetheless, the cow is going to have a complete recovery. We still obligate him to pay for the nezek. Why is that? specifically in regards to a person. We don't take into account a maka, a wound, that's going to heal completely. All we take into account is his unemployment, because a person's not viable, he's not, he's not, a, state, he's not a state of being where he's open for sale. A person's not for sale. Therefore, there is no loss of money. When it comes to an animal, every moment I could sell my animal, and if I go to sell it right now, after I got hit by the knife, you know it's going to have a full recovery, it's going to be worth less. 
Choshev Nezek, therefore it's considered Nezek V'chayev. So the distinction of the Torah is that when it comes to a person, we don't view a person as a financial asset, but when it comes to an animal, we view it as a financial asset. And therefore, even when it comes to a maka, which is ain't safe for the Israelis, it's not, I'm saying it's safe for the Israelis, it's going to heal in the end of the day. Nonetheless, that's called a financial loss. So what do I want from this Torah? In this Torah, we see that the Torah views the nature of a person and the nature of an animal totally differently. When it comes to a person, a person's an Odom. He's not an ascent. A shore is mammon. It's an asset. Let's speak this out one one step further. We're going to see the chedushim v'iborim of Chaim Shol Greinaman, and we're going to carry this point through. It says the Chaim Shol ikur chilik bein adam lebehima. The main distinction between a person and an animal, who the beadam shav yusa beteres adam, a person his value is that of a being a person. He's a human being. Veina shevus rabbi pogin beshav yusa kolkach, and therefore the fact that he was needs medical bills. He has to pay an employment. That has nothing to do with his inherent value. A person's worth much more than their output. It's very much more than what it needs to sustain them. The Hilkoch, and therefore, since the Torah itself explicitly says as a payment of medical bills and an employment separate from that of Nezek, the Torah took it away from Nezek. Even under circumstances where there's no payment of Dalit Varim, like the Orzarua. That which is not true when it comes to an animal, where the essence of an animal is a monetary asset. It's my property. If the whole essence of an animal is its monetary value, so anything which is going to affect the monetary value of the animal is going to be incorporated within the Nezek. So if an animal isn't going to go be able to work, and if an animal needs medical bills, so an inherent, its inherent value changed. But a person's a person. If a person's a person, so then the person's priceless. There's no value you can set to a person. So the fact that there's going to be a change, he's going to lose some of his salary, there's going to, he's going to have to have medical bills, that has nothing to do with the nezek to the person. The person lost part of himself. We didn't lose money here, we lost part of a person. That's something totally different. In a certain way, I was saying it now, a person is priceless. There's no set value that you could give to a person. If that's true, a person's priceless, there's no set value we can give to him. So the question begs to be asked, so why are we paying money? How could it be then Achova b'chaveri is chayiv tashlumei nezek. Tashlumei nezek. Tashlumei nezek. Nezek is something which is, is something which is not given to be compensated for. A person lost a hand. Give him, pay him for his hand. His hand is priceless. You can't pay for a hand. Offer all the money in the world for a hand. He's not going to give it to you. Nothing. So how could it be then that the payment of nezek is actually something which makes sense? So I want to say a Chiddush. The Chiddush is expressed by Geneva. I'll tell you by Geneva, and then we'll plug it back in by Chayvel. There's a din. If I steal someone's water bottle, yeah, so I have to give them back the water bottle. The Heshev Zagzei Now what happens if that water bottle was run over by a truck? 
It's not a water bottle anymore. It's a piece of flat plastic. So what do I do? I give back the money of the water bottle. I, the Torah says a mitzvah, the you have to return the object which was stolen. How do I fulfill that mitzvah by returning money? So the answer is as follows. You know, there's different ways I could define a water bottle. I could define a water bottle as being 20 centimeters high, having a circumference of 15 centimeters, diameter of 10 centimeters, is green, it has a lid. That's one way, a physical description. Another way I could define a water bottle is it's a container which holds water and it keeps a certain degree of coldness. And if I squeeze it, it can shoot water out at a certain velocity. Its function is another way that I could describe the water bottle. Another defining aspect of the water bottle is its price tag. This water bottle costs $6. So now if I want to go ahead and describe what's my water bottle, I can describe it based off its look. I could describe it based off its function. Or I could describe it based off its value. So now when it comes to this broken water bottle, I can't give back its external appearance. It was destroyed. I can't give back its function. Also, not here. But what aspect can I, yes, give back? I can give back its value. So it comes along the Torah and says, if you don't have the object anymore, fulfill the heishiv sagzeil give back the aspect of the water bottle, which you could still give back. The money. So now I want to say as follows. You took someone's hand, you cut it off. That hand is priceless. There's no way you can give back, no one would ever sell their hand. Now what part of the hand can you not give back? The physical description you can't give back, right? You're going to give back a piece of flesh which is attached to his hand? Obviously not. Impossible. So what are you going to give back? The function? The function? How can you give back the function? That which is the, the function is priceless. Yeah, for sure, the function's priceless. No one would ever give that back. The functioning of the hand? How can you give that back? But what can I, yes, give back? The value of a hand. The price of a hand. How do I give back the price of a hand? A hand is priceless. The answer is no. What's priceless? The functioning, the usage of a hand. But comes along the Mishnah and says, someone cut off your hand. How do I go ahead and determine the value of a hand, which is def- definitional to the hand itself, the same way the price tag is definitional to the water bottle, how much is an evidentiary worth? An evidentiary is worth this much with a hand and that much without a hand? So now I know the price tag of a hand. So when I'm giving Tashlum Nezik, in no way, shape, or form am I giving back compensation. No, I'm not paying you compensation for the hand. You didn't incur a certain amount of monetary loss and I'm fulfilling, I'm filling up that loss which I incurred upon you. When I'm giving you back Tashlume Nezek, that's a means that the Torah told me I can give you back a hand. I can give you back the hand which I took from you. That's Tashlume Nezek. It's an unbelievable concept. The same way that money is a part of an aspect of an object to fulfill the mitzvah of the Hishu Sagzei Money is part of the defining definition of an object, of a person, of a body part, that when it says, ayin tachas ayin, shein tachas shein, yad tachas yad, that I'm giving you a yad, 
I'm giving you an aspect of the Yad, the monetary value of the Yad, Tachas the Yad, which I cut off. Yeah. That's the Yisud here I want to say in Tashlume Nezik Patas Rashi, that according to Rashi, you're not paying compensation for the hand. The use of the hand is priceless. What you're doing is giving back the monetary definition of the hand, which we have based off of the payment of Eved Ivri, that's the price tag, and therefore the payment of Nezek, Tashlume Nezek, is give back the hand which you took. Let's prove that. Says Rashi Alachumish, Shmeiz Perchafalef, Pesachafalef. Rashi is talking about the din of Tsar, how do you have to pay Tsar? And Rashi says as follows In Mikraza Yeser, the fact that it says Petsa is superfluous. told us, you have to pay Tsar even when you paid Nezek. Now, what's the Chiddush here? Why would I have to go ahead and think that I wouldn't pay Tsar Bamakam Nezek? Says Rashi. Even though you give him the value of his hand. So already here's a diak. What's Dmei Yodo? I didn't pay Dmei Yodo the value of his hand. I paid him back the loss of functioning. So Dmei Yodo, I would say, is a diak like Arvort. The value of his hand, meaning that monetary aspect of the hand itself. But that already, I'm willing to concede, is debatable. But says Rashi further, Ain't Puchin Eseminatsar. We don't say he's exempt from paying for the distress. Why would I have exempted him from Tsar if he paid Nezek? Because he would say, since I bought his hand already, I can do whatever I want with it. I could cut it off whatever I want. So I can cut it off with a knife, and I can cut it off with a chemical which hurts less. I bought his hand. If I bought his hand, I could do what I want with it. Says the Chumash, no. You have to pay the additional tsar that you gave him. But what's this Havamina? I bought his hand. That's wild. That means Rashi understood that once I pay Tashlume Nezek, that was a form of having ownership over his hand. I can have ownership over his hand? Unbelievable. That means that the money that I gave to Tashlume Nezek is money of a hand. It's Kimat Mefurish. It's almost Mefurish and Rashi, like we're saying. So now, let's say as follows. We're going uh, a little bit over time. That's what it seems like to me, but I hope you forgive me. And this is the first time I think I did this. But it's worth it. Says the Shita. The Shita says as follows. Nezek Kalimar. How could you go ahead and assess Nezek, is the Shita's question. Why? What's the basis? Because it says... The mazik himself, the person, the, the nizik who got who got damaged, wouldn't want to go through this not for a thousand, two thousand golden coins. It's not worth it. It's mamish not worth it. So that's mavor. He's understanding like Rashi, our understanding in Rashi, that obviously we can't be giving, paying compensation. We can't be paying compensation. The compensation, compensation is irrelevant to such a severe damage. So in order to address this, comes along the Rosh, the Shita, I'm sorry. The Shita answers, like the Rosh, that what do we do? You're right. Really, there's no way to compensate. So we view him like an Evid Kanaini, and how much he would take before he was damaged, and how much he take now after he's damaged, and that's what you pay. So now, that's so interesting, right? That means that the Rosh who's telling us you pay like an Evid Kanaini, 
is very well, could be understanding. It's also not a form of compensation. Why is it not compensation? Because this is priceless. No one would be willing to lose the usage of their hand, not for a thousand zuhuvim, not for two thousand zuhuvim. It's priceless. So now, if that's true, that even the rush agrees with Rashi, so that means that there's a whole new machlokas here. Everyone agrees that the nature of the payment isn't a payment of compensation for the usage of the hand. Rather, the nature of the dispute between Rashi and the Rosh is, now that I have to give back the hand, the aspect of the hand which is definable by a monetary price, what's the most logical way to determine that monetary price? Do I go based after the most comparable, practical comparison? Inasmuch as the sale is forever, so too we have to determine a differential which takes that into account, same way the damage is forever. That would be the rush. Or no. What are we discussing here? We're discussing a chuvu b'chaveiro. A chuvu b'chaveiro. So our only barometer for discerning who would he be discussing here possibly is Eved Ivri. Oh, Eved Ivri. It doesn't make sense. We have these questions. It doesn't make a difference. Who cares if it's not proper compensation? Our whole question of six years is only a question if it's a discussion of compensation. But if it's not a discussion of compensation, rather, the whole discussion is, how do I assess the value of a hand? So then, there, it's very, very clear that we don't have to go ahead and make it that the value is based off something which is forever, which is permanent. If that's true, let's keep going back to Rashi. Says Rashi, what? If he would have to sell himself as an Evid, that's how we would evaluate him. But he might never sell himself. That question's irrelevant. He might never sell himself. Because we're not saying here that that was a money that was lost and you're compensating for the money that was lost. We're saying here, this is the barometer of how you assess what the price tag of a hand is. Therefore, in Rashi says, It was, yeah, have said a moment right now. It's not a potential, it's not withholding future potential gains. It's a have said moment right now. That hand is a price tag the same way that the bottle has a price tag. That price tag he lost right now when you went ahead and damaged him. So our three questions on Rashi, based off this principle, are already going to be understood. We're going to, those three questions in Rashi aren't difficult. We saw it also, Rashi al-Khumash, would be a very, very strong reason why to go ahead and understand like we're explaining right now. The one weak point is really the Yam Shashlema's question, what do you do about a woman? And so I would answer is that at least this point mitigates it. However you go, this question is going to be difficult in Rashi. Because at the end of the day, if we're discerning, we're, de- we're going and determining this based off evidently. So it doesn't exist. So if we're trying to create compensation, and we're saying the parameter of compensation, the payment you're paying, is the payment of loss for an evidently. So that's very hard, because that's non-existent. But if all we need is a barometer as it means to pay back a hand, so then the fact that that doesn't exist in reality bothers me less. It's a step removed. It's not that this is the payment, but we need to create a barometer to assess how we can give this a value. So the fact that that is going to have to be fictitious bothers me less than if the whole assessment, the whole compensation is purely fictitious. That would be now a big benefit in Shita's Rashi. So now let's go further. 
Let's see this in the next step. That means that the Pasuk, Rashi's understanding, Ayn Tachas, Ayn Shein Tachas Tein, Yad Tachas Yad, the Yad, Dainu, the Mamun that you're giving, the aspect, the Bechinas Mamun of the hand that you're giving back, is Tachas the Yad, it's in lieu of the hand which you took away. There's a payment of Yad for Yad, for the Yad that you ruined. So now, we said, the Rashi learns that what's Kiyotze by Yansar, we say, Adam Kiyotze Bezeh. Rashi says, based off how he is, it's subjective. So he said, Rashi knows that it was subjective from the Mishnah. But how did the Mishnah know? If it's true that part of the definition of a Yad is its monetary value, and that's alluded to in the fact that the Torah says, Yad Tachas Yad. So now what's Petzah Tachas Patzah? Petzah Tachas Patzah means the monetary value, the aspect, the monetary aspect. How do we define right the money here? that was given in lieu of what he went through is tachas, is tachas the tsar. It has to be subjective. It has to be based off that guy. And therefore, we have to take into account every aspect of what he went through. Now, our other question. Rashi in Dever Maschal Masmer. Rashi says, Why is Rashi so focused on the psukim? Rashi is very focused on the Pesukim, because our whole Pasuk, all of our dinim here are based off the Pesukim. Yad Tachas Yad, Nezek, is a payment based off the Pesukim. The Tetzah Tachas Patzah, the fact it's subjective, is based off the Pesukim. So now we have a Mishnah telling us a din of Shvud and Masmer. So Rashi makes it that the dinim are also based expressions of the Pesukim. Now, let's go to the din of Shavis. Shavis, we say, you pay him like as a Shemak Shiyin. Why? Because you already gave him the value of his hand or his leg. We asked, what do you mean because you already gave him the value of his hand or his leg? But what's going to be with his profession? He was a bricklayer. He can't be a bricklayer. What happened to all that money he's going to lose? Says the Mishnah, according to Rashi, you already gave him back his hand. You gave him back his hand. So now what? I I cut his hand off. Now, I gave him back his hand. I gave him back his hand. If I gave him back his hand, the fact that he can't go ahead and have usage of it has nothing to do with me anymore. Because that which I caused, the damage which I caused to him, I took care of. I took his hand. I gave him his hand. I practically, he can't do malacha kveda anymore. So very good. I'll pay him a shomer kshuyin. If I never gave him back his hand, it's a whole question of compensation. So you're right. I have to compensate him for his unemployment, for the lack of money that he's going to have the rest of his life. But inasmuch as we're not talking a sugi of compensation, we're talking about giving back the hand that you that you cut off. So once I gave it back, so now all that's incumbent upon me to pay is the inability to work during the time period between when he got the damage, and when he heals. So says Rashi, during that time period, you view him as what? You view him as what he's going to do when he gets better. Why is it what he's going to do when he gets better? Because I already gave him back his hand now when he's in the hospital. So obviously, I don't have to take that into account. That would be the explanation of Shavis once we said this principle also. But now this is the best. Comes along Rashi after explaining all the dinim of the Mishnah, and he brings the psukim. Why is Rashi bringing psukim now? It is an introduction, bringing the beginning of the Mishnah. The Mishnah started off saying, there's something called Nezek Tzai Ripli Sheva, say it there. Abba, if, if, 
It's like we're saying that Ayin Tachas Ayin is telling us, Tashlumei Nezek, that you're giving back the Dmei Ayin Tachas, the actual Ayin. That means that the parameters of all the Dinim and the Mishnah that we're explaining are really being explained by the Psukim. That means the Psukim themselves are helping define the parameters of the payments. Ayin Tachas Ayin, that Pasuk isn't our source. Ayin Tachas Ayin is an explanation. Petsa Tachas Potza, that's subjective, that's an explanation. So Rashi here can't tell us all the sources in the beginning. If Rashi put all the sources in the beginning, we would assume that Rashi is just introducing the concept. We never would have understood that Rashi is revealing to us that the actual Pasuk is relevant to the explanation, the understanding of the Din itself. But now that Rashi is adding it after we went through all the cases of the mission, explained the Dinim, and Rashi now goes and says, and Nezik is based off Ayin Tachas Ayin. That means to tell me that take that Pasuk of Ayin Tachas Ayin and fit that back into the Dinim, which I explained to you already. This is also part of my explanation of the Dinim. And therefore, the fact that the Torah says Ayin Tachas Ayin is revealing that when I pay Tashlume Nezik, I'm giving an Ayin Tachas an Ayin. I am not giving the physical thing. I am not giving back the function. But the value that I'm giving back, how do I assess that value? According to Rashi, I assess that value by what's the price differential of an Ebed Ivri without that I. So there, Rashi is telling us specifically after he explained all the Dinim, so that you know that the Psukim are part of the explanation of the Dinim and not just an introduction. So that Shita's Rashi, unbelievable Chidushim, that according to Rashi, Tashlumei Nezek isn't a form of compensation. It's not a fine. It's nothing of that nature. It's a way you took an eye, you're giving back an eye. An aspect of that eye, the monetary value, and that we can determine based off of the price differential of an evidentiary. And according to the Rush, how we're saying it, it's the same exact thing. It's an ayin tachas ayin. You're giving back an eye. We have a, a machlokas here. What's the best way to assess that price differential? Is it based off an evid ivri because the din is a din specific to chuva b'chaveiro? Or is it evid kanaini in as much as the damage was for permanent? We have to assess that value based off of a damage, based off of Salem, sorry, which is also permanent. So we'll stop here, guys. This is a breaking into the sugi, breaking into Rashi, understanding what Tashlumei Nezik is. Next week, we're going to discuss Shita Sarambam when it comes to Tashlumei Nezik also.